This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Junkyard Dogcast, everybody. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. With me, Kip Adams, Rusty Mansell of Dogs 24-7. George is coming off a big win, and it may have not quite been like everybody wanted it to be, especially after that. The Bulldogs set some expectations with a three-quarter shutout of, of Auburn up 21 nothing, but they hung on. They got a couple big stops late, and it, it, it turned into... You know, a little bit of a slugfest there at the end, but uh, the huge test pass for Georgia and Kirby Smart on the road, and we're going to discuss that, the ins and outs, who impressed us. Uh, we're we're going to get into some kind of the future of this Georgia football program, especially on the defensive side and uh, and things of that nature. And, and Rusty, just want to go straight to you on this. Let's jump right into this thing. Uh, your just, just your quick thoughts on the game, just anything that kind of stood out to you. I mean, I... I I don't want to kind of overreact, but 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 some of the reaction to the game was like, like Georgia lost. I mean, it, Georgia went on the road to Auburn in a hostile environment and absolutely dominated them for the better part of three quarters and a little bit. Um, you know, I felt like they went a little bit of zone. Um, you know, just from what my football knowledge, Jake, you might have saw, I, I thought they went a little bit of zone. And, and Auburn got a little bit of momentum, but look, when you're up 21 to nothing, you're not going to take chances to put your guys on an island and blitz every play, try to keep things in front of you. Auburn made a couple of good plays. Bo Nix got hot. Next thing you know, you had a ball game. You're not going to win those games easy. Had we said on here on Friday that we're guaranteeing Georgia a seven-point win, DeAndre Swift's going to rush for 100 yards. They're going to make Bo Nix throw it 50 times or whatever. Everybody on here would have been group hugging in, in the entire board. Um, you know, I just felt like that you had to escape. You had to get out of Auburn with a win. I thought they were impressive all over. But uh, but some of the reaction kind of surprised me, to be honest with you, um, just from seeing it. They're, they're, you know, Georgia is who they are. They're going to run the ball, and they're going to play defense. That's who they are. I mean, I don't know at this point what people want to um, change, but that's who they are. That's who they're going to be. Uh, and I do think that down the line they're going to make some changes, offensive philosophy, in my opinion. But right now, that's who they are. You know what, though, Rusty, you you talk about everything, uh, the, the 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 fourth quarter stuff, and Georgia is one play away from the aisles filling up, and Keys getting shook by the Georgia fans at the Auburn fans, and that's right. if that's that ball to hit Eric Stokes in the hands sure. gets caught. Sure. That I mean, Auburn fans are vacating the premises, uh, and yeah. uh, and, yeah. and that, that just shows you how big one play can be in a game. And you're also a a, a bad pass from. Let's be honest, Bo Nix missed a right. wide open guy, and it might have been a touchdown. We might have been tied. Eric Stokes yeah. drops the ball. It's it's a three touchdown game. They drop one and keep him going. 
it's about play after play after play and playing the next one. And Jake, that's absolutely on the head. That was a huge play that would have shut the door on Auburn, but it didn't. The bottom line, Georgia came out of there with a seven-point win, and, and they're moving on the next one. It's so funny to me how some games can kind of be like, no, I don't want it, you take it. No, I don't want it, you take it. And uh, I mean, you know that's not the way it is, but then you had, you had Stokes dropping the the interception, Auburn scores, Georgia comes back out, Eli Wolf drops the, 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 the crossing route over the middle on first down that would give Georgia a little bit of momentum offensively. Georgia gives it back, Auburn gets it on fourth down, Harold Joyner, uh, you know, whether you thought he should have caught it, whether you thought it should have been a better throw, it didn't get executed, it was just – just so weird how that fourth quarter shook out. So many three and outs, and and uh, that was I, I tell you what Auburn's defense in person better than than I than advertised to me. Uh, I thought I thought their cornerbacks sure. were the best. Like everybody had Florida's touted as the best in the SEC. I'll take Auburn's cornerbacks over Florida's. I really don't. I, I think Igbenogany is a is a really tough kid. I think Javarius Davis is a, is is as feisty as they come. Um, I, they those guys played really well, and and Kevin Steele did some stuff. If you notice, Georgia tried to sneak Brian Harry and out the backfield and and get him on a little uh, little out route at one point, and they had Javarius Davis covering. Him. So yep. they they were ready for that stuff. They were ready for you know to to cut, try to cover Georgia up in obvious passing situations. And I was impressed with the game plan. I, I was impressed with Auburn's defense. I mean, I, I look Georgia. Uh, somebody sent me a tweet right before we got on air. Georgia on three drives had 230 yards of offense. On 12 other drives, they had 20 yards total offense. Auburn shut Georgia down a good bit of that game. The problem was when they needed to make a play, they made one. I mean, Dominic Blaylock, hell of a catch. Jake Fromm, great throw. The call on fourth down, I mean, the bootleg was a walk in the end zone for Herring, basically. Um, you know, I thought it was a great play to Karis Jackson, who stepped out of bounds. A great throw, great route there. But, look, man, if you know anything about football, that Auburn was – they their defense, I, I read their board most of the time during the week. And, and now, listen, I'm, I'm not saying – but the Auburn fans – think in general they're wasting a good defense right now they've got a hell of a defense i don't know if there's many better there's better defense in the country than what auburn's got i guarantee you they get up after you up front their linebackers can run and their freaking cover guys can freaking cover and they're long they can kip what'd you take away from it well it's interesting because you know on those touchdown drives i mean james coley had you know he he dialed up some some excellent play action calls in the red zone. That's what got him the two touchdowns. You know, that first one in the second quarter, they uh, they had the, the tight set, and I think Fromm rolled out and hit hit Harrion. Outstanding call. Um, and then that last one was also a bunch set. It was a similar kind of play. And this time it was obviously Eli, Eli Wolf. You know, I, earlier in the season, I think everyone, including all the fans in the junkyard, would have expected Georgia to run the ball in both situations. So again, unpredictability and, and it played off on, on those drives. And we're talking about, you know, the defense, Georgia's defense kind of wearing down late in the game. I, I think it's pretty obvious as Rusty pointed out, uh, you know, they had 22 plays for 230 yards. And then, you know, the other ones, they had nine and three and ounce. And, and so Georgia, you know, their defense was on the field 
for more plays. I think it was 87, the stat. 87 plays on defense. I think it was 86. And it was 86. the most it was the most Auburn had run against Georgia in the Kirby Smart era. It's it, it well from what I've seen it's the most Georgia has been on the field the most snaps or defense has been on the field this season. Uh, I think it was either 70 or 71 against South Carolina was the previous high. So I mean that's again that's over 10 plays more and, and really what stood out to me from that is just Georgia's depth. Uh, on defense still though i mean that that depth and and we're going to talk about this later but the youth and the depth that that's the difference in the game and it's just a reminder of how important recruiting is i mean you look at the big plays in this game and you know tyreek stevenson uh, you know trevon walker nicobe dean dominic blaylock nolan smith you know jermaine johnson dj daniel these were important recruiting battles that georgia won and these guys you know, the performance in this game on the biggest stage is just a reminder that that recruiting is important. It's not just a cliche. Uh, that that was the difference in the game. Georgia had those guys. And, and really, that's why this team, you know, has a chance to do something, you know, something big. The expectations for this season, they, they still have a chance to uh, to meet those. And, and uh, I think it's the one thing I really took away is that it's clear that Auburn, that's the best defense Georgia is going to play the whole season. I agree. And, and I thought that for the most part, Georgia's offensive line uh, did a pretty good job. I said, Jake, you know, I, whenever I was asked the, you know, one sentence on, on whether Georgia wins, if Jake Fromm's jersey is clean, he only, he was only pressured on uh, what, three or four, maybe five of those uh, of his dropbacks, I think. So, that gave them the chance to win the game and in the red zone they they still got it done and put points on the board when they needed to. And, and again, that's, that's why they they still have a chance to, uh, to, to make the college football playoffs in the end. Now, so that's, what's nuts to me is, you know, you, you look and, and Georgia's red zone offense had been bad. It'd been bad for a few weeks. And then all of a sudden they bat a thousand in the red zone with touchdowns and, yep. They're bad otherwise, and it's just it's it's just kind of crazy. Uh, one thing I want to point out: um, Georgia has scored between 17 and 27 points since the South Carolina game, starting with the South Carolina game. Doesn't matter who they play: Florida, Auburn, whoever. They're they're scoring they're scoring right there in that same amount of points against really good defenses, really bad defenses, good fairly good defenses. It doesn't matter; they're kind of right there in that same range. Uh, but I'll say this, and, and I want to jump back to this play talking about the red zone. I looked over at Palmer Toms, who, who's a guy that helps us out over at Dogs 24-7 intern, helps out with the team, does a fantastic job. And when when there was, I believe there was a timeout uh, before the, the, Brian Herrian, uh, the Brian Herrian play right there. I guess it was when the photographer, uh, Chamberlain Smith, had gotten um, you know hit there, and, and she's been released from the hospital doing well. Posting on social media today, that was a scary scene, but it looks like she's going to be okay. Um, but I looked over at Palmer and I said, do you go for the first down here or do you go for a touchdown? Because to me, that was a golden opportunity to to go play action and to take a shot at the end zone. It was your best chance, in my opinion, to get seven on that drive. And uh, I thought it was a heck of a call. I thought it was a real uh, kind of a gutsy call rather than trying to grind it out and then, you know, maybe, you know, kind of 
really just try to shove the ball down their throat and get it in there just to make that move to to go to the air and and to trust the quarterback there I thought was a really solid move another thing I kind of want to rant about here guys listen we I, I pay attention to the comments on our Facebook page I pay attention to the comments on our on our stories when we post them via Twitter pay attention to our, our message board the junkyard second to none we love everybody over there for sure but when Georgia lost to South Carolina, you didn't have a hard time. You you weren't going to have a hard time finding somebody that that thought running the table six in a row to end the season was wasn't just it just wasn't going to happen. This team was bad. This team was horrible. This team sucked. Uh, it 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 was it was it was poorly coached. Jake Fromm's bad. Uh, the offensive line is not as good as it's you know it's supposed to be. All this stuff. It was all, defense was giving up too many big plays. And here we are, four games later, Georgia's won all four of them, two more, and it's a play-in game in the SEC championship game, and the frustrations are still high. And I get it. The play the play calling may not be sexy. It may not be a lot of fun. It, this, this team may be a little bit more grinded out, more of a junkyard-type mentality. And while there are other real, you know, prettier, funner teams to watch, especially offensively out there, but guys, the team has done exactly what a lot of you said it couldn't, and and I think that needs to be pointed out. And and you know Kirby Smart has a chance to go 11 wins in a regular season for the third straight year. Doesn't happen very often, and uh, and I think this team deserves a lot of credit for that. All right, guys, uh, real quick uh, before we jump into the break, uh, one of the uh, one of the things I wanted to bring up here. Uh, but it, it is, you know, it's kind of related to what we've been talking about, and obviously it's going to kind of segue into some of the other stuff we're going to talk about later on. Uh, but when you watched that game on Saturday, when you kind of, you know, looked at, you know, everything that happened, who impressed you? Like just one individual guy. We don't have to go real deep into it. But starting with you, Kip, who's the one guy that kind of impressed you a little bit? I'm going to give a shout out to the my MVP of the game. It's got to be Jake Camarda. You know, in a game where, like we said, Georgia's yeah. offense is is having three and outs. Uh, we talk about uh, Rusty's pick, you know, as far as the, the veteran who he thought was going to be the difference maker. He mentioned, you know, he mentioned Rodrigo Blankenship, but he said in a close game, I mean, that could be the difference. And I think he was right. I mean, in a close game, it, it, it did come down to a kicker being the difference. It was just the punter and, and not the field goal kicker. And, and Jake Camarda. Started off the season a little rough, you know, uh, had shanked a couple punts. Kirby had to kind of defend him earlier this year and say that he's his guy and, and he believed in him. And it and it's paying off right now. I mean, you, you look at that game and, and what he's able to do, punting 11 times, averaging 51 yards per punt. I mean, he, he hit one that was 67, another was 63. You flip the field. You put Auburn, you know, in a bad field position for – Pretty much the entire first half, uh, uh, definitely the best game of his career. And, and now you look at him, I mean, he's in the top 10 of the country in, in average yards per punt. Uh, I thought it was interesting looking at that. He's sixth now, almost 48 yards per punt. Uh, the interesting thing is, is that three of the guys ahead of him are, uh, you know, Georgia opponents this season. South Carolina's punter, Kentucky's punter, Texas A&M punter. They're, they're two, three, and four on the list. Uh, just thought that was kind of interesting. But you know, I, I thought that uh, Jake had an outstanding game, and that leg—I mean, it's it's a weapon for sure for for Georgia and, and the special teams. I mean, that's a big 
part of, of why Georgia's starting to kind of, you know, get into the zone a little bit is that, you know, all three facets of the game, you know, are, are all important. And that's one that, I mean, he, he was on point. And so outside of a couple special teams penalties, I thought that it was a really good day for, for Georgia in that phase of the game. And, and I'd be kind of surprised if he's not, you know, a, a heavy favorite for the SEC special teams player of the week. That that first punt, the one you referenced, the sixty-seven yarder, indirectly had a, had a lot to do with Georgia's first score because they pin Auburn deep. Auburn gets out of the hole a little bit, but then Georgia gets the ball. I think at their own thirty-nine yard line, get a first down, fifty-one yard touchdown pass, three-play drive. There it gave Georgia a sixty-one yard field. So that's what that's what punting the ball well can do for you. Had four inside of Auburn's. 20 got a little shaky late i think that you know a couple of his worst punts were were in the, there in the fourth quarter and kind of made it a little bit interesting but overall i mean you know he had to punt 11 times when you punt that many times you're going to have a couple that aren't exactly perfect rusty uh who stood out to you tyler clark um we just you know the the message all year has been havoc creating havoc those things and you know not only have a couple of, of pressures you know a tackle for loss i believe but when you watch him, he is always one second or one little move away from 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 causing a negative play. Two years ago, when they went to the Rose Bowl and made that run, the national championship, Tyler Clark was that dude. I mean, he was that guy. And you know, he came back uh, last year and and really thought um, I really thought that he was just going to take a step forward. He really didn't for whatever reason. Don't know if he was kind of played banged up. Just didn't take a step forward. He has been really good this year, and he seems to be getting better. Um, you know, they played Mikael Carter a little bit yesterday in the, in the normal rotation, but I'm telling you, man, when, when Tyler Clark is in there, he is a handful. Uh, he creates so much problems for teams facing him right now, and he was disruptive, and that, and that says a lot of, for the guys behind him because the you know, the normal uh, kind of reputation of Georgia defensive line is to just eat up blocks and, and let the guys behind you run and make plays. But, man, when you got a penetrating um, inside three-technique type guy that is causing problems and playing like a senior, Tyler Clark was, was really good yesterday, and that is very, very good news for Georgia uh, as they hit this home stretch. You know, all year long we've heard – about Eric Stokes and how great Eric Stokes is at corner. And he is. He's a really good player, really good kid. Struggled some against Auburn. But you know who didn't struggle was the guy on the other side of him. DJ Daniel was fantastic, man. I mean, DJ Daniel showed why Georgia wanted him bad. Uh, the pass breakup on Anthony Schwartz where he was step for step with the fastest man in college football – Knocked it away. Big pass break up there. Jumped in the backfield on one play. Got a tackle for a loss on a screen pass. Had six solo tackles. I thought he had a fantastic game. I really did. I thought that he was really good. I also thought Richard LeCount was really good in that secondary. And I'm with you on Tyler Clark as well. I mean, there's two tackles for a loss and, and a couple of other impactful plays. Malik Harry could also be in there. But DJ Daniel was the one that, uh, you know, if I had to pick somebody that you guys didn't pick, uh, he's the guy. Let's jump into a break real quick. On the other side, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the defense and where it's at now and where it's going to be coming, you know, coming soon. And uh, then we're going to talk about this team ceiling a little bit. But we're going to 
uh, throw it to the uh, to the to the ad folks and let them read one real quick, and then we'll get back to you. All right, guys, listen. Everybody knows that Georgia's doing it with defense right now. Georgia's at near the top of the country in every major defensive statistical category, but. All you got to do is look at the last play of the game with Trayvon Walker coming up with a massive sack on Bo Nix to end it. Uh, I mean, can we say enough kind of about some of the young talent and where it's at? I mean, there's some young, talented guys that aren't playing a lot on this team right now either. But, I mean, th- there are times when there are four true freshmen out there in, in crunch time. Uh, what are you? What are your thoughts on uh, Rusty starting with you? What are your thoughts on just kind of the the youth movement on this defense and some of how some of these young guys are probably the most talented ones? For most for, for most of our preseason stuff, when we talked about guys and you know you see Pickens make that play in, in fall camp and you know everybody's just you know excited about these guys and I kept saying let's see where these guys are after the bye, let's see where these guys are for that five game stretch in November. Because here's here's kind of the reality for for people like that, Trayvon Walker and Nolan Smith and the Kobe Dean and uh, you recruit those type of players. If the recruiting industry's right, if we're right, uh, if if Georgia's right in their evaluation, those guys are three and out. So you take somebody like Trayvon Walker, who's in his tenth game uh, of of his career, and you get what about thirty six, thirty seven, thirty eight, thirty nine games. I mean. Stupid as it sounds, he's he's coming up on one third of his college career at Georgia, so he is he's no longer a freshman to me. Uh, Nolan Smith no longer a freshman. Nicobe Dean no longer a freshman. These guys are experienced. Um, you know they played at Auburn, they they've played in Jacksonville. They're gonna they're gonna play in Mercedes Benz. So they're gonna get all that stuff out of the way uh, in this first season. But you know I consider these guys as 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 should be the game should be slowing down for them. And it looks like it is, but man, you know, we talked about Trayvon Walker early on. We talked about him after the Vandy game. Uh, you know, he's learning the system, and and now it seems like he's got a good grasp. And I, I'm telling you, man, that I can't say it enough about Barton Simmons. And I know Barton has to make a lot of tough decisions at the end of the day, but I'm telling you right now, he was so close to making. He was so close to making Trayvon Walker the number one player in the country last year. I mean, at one point. During those last three days, it, it was going to happen, and um, you know that Barton was high on him, sky high, and he thought the upside of him. He thought three sport athlete, you know, starting basketball player on a two year state championship team. Uh, he had the all important fifty foot mark on the shot put, which is you know we don't know why, but that's a big deal. Um, facts, you know, we, we start looking at date on people, and they get to that fifty foot uh, shot put, it helps for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, Trayvon, Nolan, Nicobe, and all those guys are very, very special players. And they're, I, I don't consume them freshmen anymore. I mean, they're, they're playing now. And crazy it sounds, they're going to be in game 11 this weekend. Kip, do you, do you kind of agree with the assessment that, yeah, Georgia's defense, amazing, awesome, but the, the youngest guys are the ones that are the, – I'm no, sorry, not the youngest, but the most talented guys are the freshman role players at this point? Oh, no, no doubt. And, and it's interesting because Nolan Smith isn't even on the stat sheet except for participation. But, I mean, you, you see him out there against Auburn and seeing how he was able to break down, you know, a couple of, you know, the trick plays that Auburn was trying to run. I remember the one play, uh, you know, he 
he he snuffed that thing out immediately, and it's just it, it shows that the, the light has come on. It was impressive to see how quickly he was able to diagnose and close in there, and, and then obviously get help. But and then the Kobe Dean, I mean. Georgia's inside linebackers. It was a group coming into the season that we, you know, a lot of names, but not a household name, not someone that, you know, again, trying to re- replace a guy, a Buckus award winner from two years ago in Roquan Smith. They're, they're still kind of looking for that, but watching him out there and, you know, seeing him just take away plays on the edge left and right, uh, you know, Earlier this year and last year, the middle linebacker would get lost in space on a lot of those plays and wouldn't be able to fight through the traffic. And he he definitely showed me he's a guy who can do that. And Tyreek Stevenson, that 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 third down play on that last possession, just knocking the ball away from Seth Williams, who is definitely an alpha. And it, again, their biggest playmaker, in my opinion, on the team. You know, he had a bunch of plays like that, and he did it a week ago against Missouri, too. So the light's coming on for these guys, and we haven't even mentioned, you know, some of the other guys. Again, Aziz Ojolari, you know, redshirt freshman, Devod Wilson. Uh, you know, the, the future is definitely bright in Athens right now, and, and these guys are, are going to have a lot of confidence not only in, in, the, in the games to come this year, but but especially going into, you know, 2000. 2020 when they're you know they're going to be young offensively for the most likely but but defensively you know it's already the strength of the team and I think it has a chance to get even better you know in the weeks to come and and definitely in the next two years to come you know you you bring up those names and I clearly agree with you on those because Nicobe Dean and Trayvon Walker and Nolan Smith and Tyreek Stevenson have all been impressive we're not even talking about Ryan Davis and Tresman Marshall, and Lewis Seen, and Bill Norton, and Zion Logue, and th- there are still more guys just logged and loaded, ready for an opportunity, and, and there are going to be some guys vacating those spots. You know, Tay Crowder's gone at the end of this year, and somebody's stepping in there in the inside linebacker rotation. Marshall and Davis have a chance to do that. Lewis Seen may start next year year you know Richard LeCount may have a decision to make at the end of the season the way he's playing right now there's some draft analysts that really like him and J.R. Reed's definitely gone so Lewis Seen is going to have a chance to jump right in there and make his move I mean this I'm telling you man I this class could be to Georgia on the defensive side what the 2017 class has been to Georgia on the offensive side now the 2017 class had some pretty good defensive players in it too uh, you know, you're looking at Monty Rice. You got a, uh, you got a uh, uh, Malik Herring. You got Richard LeCount. So you know, uh, Eric Stokes. So they had some good defensive players too. But they also had Andrew Thomas and DeAndre Swift and Jake Fromm. There, there was a lot of a lot of talent in that class. I mean, and even if you look, Jeremiah Holloman, who had his situation this summer and got kicked off the team, but still so much talent in that one class. This the, the the 2019 class I think is going to shape up to be just as good as or better than that class on the defensive side, and it, it really does blow you away how often you look down on the field and you see at least three of those guys on the field, sometimes four of those guys on the field, and and uh, I, I still think to be honest with you that that Lewis Seen has a chance to be as good as any of them because he has done nothing but impress me since G Day. And uh, there, there's a lot of talent waiting in the wings at Georgia. And, and I think that I get this stinking feeling 
that you're going to be saying this about, you know, I know Georgia fans are out there. I've seen the comment on the junkyard. Uh, you know, they've made the comment that Rusty says some of the Auburn fans are making, wasting a good defense without a great offense and all this stuff. Guys, you got great defenses coming. All right, they, you, you've got some really good defenses coming. Uh, I think I think Trey Scott has kind of shown everybody on the defensive line that that he can develop, that he can get guys ready to play, and uh, and I think Georgia's set up defensively for a good while to come. Guys, let, let's end this thing. Let's wrap this thing up with with a topic that I think is really important. And, and you know, in the rundown, we 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 always kind of go with the outline before we go with a podcast. I said I wanted to discuss this team's ceiling. I think I want to discuss this offense's ceiling because I don't think we can just avoid it. Uh, I pointed out earlier anywhere between seventeen and twenty-seven points in their last five games, um, guys. W- w- Rusty, what do you think this offense is capable of? Uh, what do you think that this team can can do if the offense has to lead the way? I mean, the ultimate goal is Georgia can win the national championship with their team. Now, it's going to take uh, an outstanding performance from here on out. Let's just get to the LSU. Let's just assume, and it's very dangerous, that Georgia beats Texas A&M and then goes to Atlanta where anything could happen. They get to LSU. You watch the LSU-Auburn matchup, and you watch what Auburn did to LSU's offense, and they had, I think what Bo Nix had two interceptions that day as well. Um, you know, I, I think Georgia very well could play with Ohio State. I think Georgia could play with LSU. Um, I think Georgia could play with anybody. They've got to find a couple of more big plays. I think the play to Dom yesterday was great. Um, I think they're doing – what they think is giving them the best chance to win games, and that is allow their defense to control the the game. Uh, Jake Cremata does that yesterday. I mean, that, that was huge. You know, I, and Kip was right there. I thought it could come down to special teams and definitely thought it was going to be Rodrigo. I don't know if you ever even heard his name called a couple times on the kickoff, and that was it. But you look at Georgia, and they certainly are not perfect on offense, and they damn sure aren't sexy on offense, and that is the problem. Everybody sees all these numbers getting put up. Uh, you know, you look at LSU, you look at Ohio State, and they're just running through people. Uh, but you also look, you know, you look at LSU, and they gave up, what, 38 to Ole Miss last night, and, and John Rice Plumley ran up and down the field on them. So nobody's perfect. I don't think Georgia by any means is sexy on offense, and that is the biggest problem for people right now. Uh, I just think that Georgia needs to find a couple of more, couple of couple of more explosive plays. Lawrence Cager, Jake, you know, he wasn't in much in the second half. Am I correct? Yesterday, right? Yeah, he he didn't play much at all. I think after the second, like midway through the second quarter. And what have I said? I mean, I said this guy's banged up. He's not getting healthy. Okay, if Georgia were to beat LSU and they got that four weeks off or whatever in between games, uh, or three and a half weeks, whatever it is. That would give him time to get himself right. This kid is banged up. It's going to be week to week. You're not going to get everything you can. He's got two shoulders. Uh, so uh, I just think they're different with him in there. And, and, you know, look at Dom made a big play yesterday. You just got to take a few more explosive chances, I think. But listen, they got the biggest, one of the baddest offensive lines in the country. Uh, they got one of the best running backs in the country. Georgia is going to do what they do, and it's not going to be, it's not ever going to be. Georgia's not going to blow out Texas A&M 49-19 this weekend. It ain't happening. But they can still dominate a game. 
I think people have got to understand what they are, what they lost, and uh, just go with it for right now. I think that's the biggest thing. For sure. And, you know, I, I look at this as kind of a uh, – I look at it as kind of a thing where Georgia's controlling games, and it's not – they're not running away from teams, but they're controlling football games. They did it against Florida. They did it against Auburn. Yeah, they had to come up with a defensive stop late, but you know they're, they're also putting teams in a position to where they've got to deal with your strength. They've got to they've got to basically beat your right hook to to beat you as, as a football team. Auburn had to come back and try to tie that game against Georgia's defense, which really wasn't giving up anything. So. Again, I mean, the, the offense has to be better, but, um, you know, I think it needs to be more efficient. I think they need to do a better job of of, of running the football, and I think that they need to do that with, with kind of setting the run up with the pass maybe some. But uh, ultimately, you can't sit here and argue with winning, especially if you're beating good teams. I mean, that's just – it's a low floor – it's a high floor, low ceiling offense at this point in time which is kind of indicative of, of Jay, Jake Fromm, not necessarily a low ceiling, but a limited ceiling, and which is kind of indicative of what Jake Fromm is as a quarterback. And I'm, 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 I'm still not sold that this thing isn't going to click at some point, that it's not going to just kind of catch a groove and, and start to kind of move a little differently than it has been. The light come on for a couple of guys, figure some things out in the run game. They've still got a couple games to figure that out before they got to play LSU. Kip, anything to add there when you start talking about the ceiling of this offense and, and how it relates to the ceiling of this football team? I mean, I think it, it could be a it can absolutely be a championship caliber offense. It's it's again, it's not just about play calls. I mean, it is about execution. And I mean, if if you're looking at those first couple of drives, I mean, diversifying the run game, as I've said before, helps a lot. And then absolutely focus more on play action. I mean, you, all three of their touchdowns were off of play action. So the plays are there to be made. And, I, I, you know, I you look at what Georgia's method to winning, the game plan is, it's been said all season, everyone says it's about Georgia, but it's true. They want to be methodical on offense. They want to control that time of possession. I mean that they're able to rotate those guys in on defense and stay fresh, but I mean it helps them out a lot whenever the the offense is is going six seven minutes down the field. And, and again, they came into this game against Auburn. They were inside the top ten in time of possession. It was it was over I think thirty four minutes a game, and they definitely lost that time of possession battle. They I, they did they had it less than twenty eight minutes. I mean that that's what allowed Auburn to sneak in there late and, and make this a football game because Georgia's defense again was on the field for much longer than it had been all year. So Georgia's offense when it's doing what it wants to do, it's it's breaking off chunks of yardage and driving the ball downfield again on those 7-8 play drives that you know take that time off the clock. That's what they want to do. And again, like you said, uh, Rusty said about LSU giving up points. I mean, at the end of the day, is it margin of? I mean, margin of victory. It should count for something. And LSU, I think, is about. I think they're winning their games by an average of twenty-one points, and Georgia is right behind them. It's a nineteen, a little over nineteen, I think. 
Obviously, Ohio State, they're blowing the doors off people. It's over 40 points a game, I think. Uh, and Clemson's right behind them. Uh, but, again, they're playing a different schedule. Uh, Georgia is playing very comparative football overall to LSU, in my opinion. And I do, as Jake says, I think that they're not clicking in all cylinders, but they had the potential to. And his his wide receivers, I mean, the young guys, they're, they're getting more and more experience. It's not just, uh, you know, Dominic Blaylock and George Pickens. You're getting Kiaris Jackson in there more, you know. Demetrius Robinson's still out there playing a role, and, you know, Ewald Wolf is in there as well. So I think it all boils down to are they able to use Brian Herrian, DeAndre Swift? They're able to use those guys, you know, in, in creative ways. Can they continue to call plays that, that get those guys to the second level of the defense? It's been off and on, but but I, I think, you know, they're starting to figure that out and they have an opportunity to, to really become a complete team. If, if they can put it all together in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, I think it all starts with um, something I mentioned earlier, which is efficiency in the passing game. It, it just hasn't been there the past couple of weeks. The, the, the completion percentage, the yards per attempt, I think that's something Georgia's got to get up. And, and I think it starts with play action. And if I'm not mistaken, Kip, uh, all three touchdown passes play action from under center. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, so uh, I, there, there are some things that I have a hard time understanding, and, and that's not me sitting here saying, you know, James Coley's a bum or, or Kirby Smart is meddling or anything like that because I know those are real popular opinions for whatever reason. That's just me saying I don't get it, and I really don't. Like, I don't have all the information they have. They, the, these coaches have pages and pages of data from practice and completion percentages from under center in practice against Georgia's defense, who we know is pretty stinking good. So, you know, it's it, it's just all a lot of stuff that we don't get, but I do think that that throwing the ball out of play action on first down and, and taking some more shots and, and trying to set up the run a little bit better uh, is something that's going to benefit this team in the long run. Uh, we're going to come back to you guys later this week to talk Texas A&M. First time the Aggies and Bulldogs are going to play since since uh, um, uh, Texas A&M joined the SEC back in 2012. So that'll be a lot of fun. It'll be senior night. Uh, several uh, big-time contributors for Georgia will be honored. And uh, final home game of the season in Sanford Stadium. Final chance to see those red lights and everything like that. They're going to light up Sanford with the – with the daylight savings and everything, kind of making the sun go down a little quicker and, and you know, making it a night game a little bit, even though it kicks off at 3.30. And we're going to learn the Georgia Tech game time uh, this week, which I'll be interested to see. Uh, but for this show, that's all we got. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. They're Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell, Dogs 24-7. And this has been the Junkyard Dogcast. You guys take it easy. <laughs>